Welcome to the Daily Boogie. Hello, 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 everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. See you later, JD- GDM. <laughs> Your stay was brief, but pleasurable as always, my friend. To everyone else, thanks for sticking around. Grab yourself a beverage and a snack if you wish. Plenty to get through today. It's going to be a bit psychotic today's show. We're going to be jumping from one thing to another, so strap yourself in or strap yourself up. Whatever you prefer. Skull. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us and welcome to another edition of the Daily Boogie podcast. I am Boogie Bumper, as you can see on the screen right there. Hopefully your host for the next hour or so. We'll see how we go. An absolute pleasure to be with you once again for the beginning of another week of this, our fledgling little program. Uh, Thanks to all the people who share the show out. Wink, wink. (laughs) Thanks to all the people who tap like and tap hearts and share the show out and send it out and say things like, hey, this guy is really shitty. You need to check out this cringe. Have a look at this. And then the person comes back and says, you know what, it's not really that bad. I mean, it's not good, but he's not that bad. I guess it's okay. And thank you for replying to that person and saying, really, you think so? I thought it was terrible, man. Never catch me watching that. And then the other person says, yeah, you're probably right. I would never watch it. And then that person just starts secretly watching it, thinking that you hate it because deep down they hate you and you don't even know. And it's not just this friend, but it's all of your friends. All of your friends hate you. So whatever you tell them not to do, they're going to do out of spite. Because the thought of making you happy keeps them up at night and makes them want to kill themselves. So thank you to all of those people. Thank you for sharing the show out. Like I said, so much to get through. Yes, your children are being enlisted in the climate war. Yay! Isn't it great? Isn't it good to be part of the solution instead of part of the problem, folks? You don't want to be part of the problem. Uh, What you do want is your children declaring you to be part of the problem. Once they're old enough to speak, walk around, get into your purse and steal pocket money. That's exactly where we want to be as a society. They used to say respect your elders, but that's kind of Bible shit. Fuck all that. No, dob your elders in. Dob your elders in and smash the light globes. (laughs) If you can, unplug the electricity, dob your elders in for being climate deniers and all of the above. So we'll get to all of that. If you'd like to become a supporter of the, sh- uh, of the show and just a quick tip of the hat to people, who, a couple of people who have recently become financial supporters of the show, you are inching us closer and closer and closer to my dream of doing this more than I do my regular day job. So at this rate, if you could just invite, uh, say, 2,000 of your friends, (laughs) but not the friends that hate you. So you know the friends that you share the show out to who secretly hate you and tell you that they hate the show too, but they secretly like it and don't tell you because they hate you. Don't share it to them. Make new friends and then invite them to become supporters of the show. 
And when they are ready to become supporters of the show, uh, direct them to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. Also, subscribe to the podcast simply by clicking the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And of course, if you would like to tell me how much your friends hate you and want to blame me for your shitty life, then you can do so by following me on Twitter at Boogie Bumper. Like I said, so much to get through. We're going to do some really fun stuff today. And today I'm going to show you why this show is so popular. <laughs> it's because we're going to deep at deep. Very tired today. I think, hang on, I need a little. Mm. Ah, cheap imported beer in a can. Always gets the job done. <laughs> so hopefully you can get us through the next hour. We're going to do a deep dive today into a number of UN documents. Sounds fun, doesn't it? Where else would you rather be? We're going to analyze UN documents pertaining to the mysterious world of education, namely primary level education, high school level education. The kinds of documents that get sent out to schools to aid as guides for teachers in order to construct lesson plans and come up with strategies in how to teach climate change to children in order to get children to feel like they are part of the climate change solution. How to encourage activism. Because of course there's a lot of talk flying around right now about uh, some chick from Sweden and her little boat trip and a little speech that she gave. And there's a lot of protests that are springing up and children are going on strike from schools. And the perception out there is that, oh, especially from the older generations, not to sound ageist, but the, the perception is always out there, oh, this is such an organic thing. This is an organic movement. You know, this is just grassroots kids who have a social conscience, who are good global citizens. They just want to do what's best for the world. They want to do the right thing. And of course, that's all garbage. <laughs> this is actually handed down from the highest levels of government possible that we have in the world, namely the UN. And it filters down through all the little levels until it gets to your kids in school. And then it's portrayed on the news as being some kind of organic uprising of concerned global citizens. Even the term global citizen is used in the UN documents. And they say, you need to talk about being a global citizen. So even the terms you use to describe this up, uh, grassroots uprising of socially conscious and socially aware youth who want to be good global citizens, even the terms you use are not your own thoughts. Even those terms come from the UN, just like the little climate minions marching in the streets today are created by the terms that you use to describe what they are unknowingly. So it's fantastic stuff. We're going to get into that. Uh, but before we do, I've got some bad news. For any fans of Australia, time's up. We had a good run. <clears throat> got to admit, we had a good run. Uh, but the all-knowing, all-wise state of China has essentially declared soft war on Australia. So I've got bad news. We're not going to be around much longer. A hundred years of solitude. Chinese state media threatens Australia after ScoMo Trump meeting. And my first thought after reading that was a hundred years of solitude. They might have inadvertently got the hard left on side with the conservative prime minister. It sounds crazy, but hear me out. Here on uh, the 26th of January every single year, we celebrate Australia Day, which was the landing of 
you know, white Europeans on the continent of Australia. In recent times, this has been referred to as Invasion Day, in which around 50,000 years of uninterrupted solitude for the Indigenous people of Australia came to an end. The year where the treacherous genocidal maniacs known as white Europeans landed on the nation of Australia, claimed it as their own, and then ended effectively Aboriginal culture. So if the Chinese are threatening 100 years of solitude, there might be a whole bunch of far-left activists and Indigenous people who are saying it's about bloody time. Because <laughs> we're, we're kind of sick of the whole invasion thing. So if you're just going to leave us alone for 100 years, why, that's better than what the Europeans offered. So God bless China. Well done. Going to leave Australia alone for the next 100 years. Sounds good to me. I don't know anybody who could have any complaints with that. Chinese state media has issued a grim warning to Australia, warning our ties to the United States will bring long-term consequences. Well, let's hope so. Let's certainly, I certainly hope so. China's state media has warned Australia risks 100 years of solitude if it continues to strengthen military ties with the United States. In an opinion piece published by Beijing's Global Times newspaper, academic Yu Lee said, This Australia-US alliance will not bring the benefits Australia hopes for. This will bring long-term military and political confrontation between Australia and Asian countries. It's kind of like... If you make a new girlfriend, say, in high school, and you're going out with this girlfriend and everything's fine, but then you start to notice that whenever you say you're hanging out with your friends, which were your friends before the new girlfriend arrived on the scene, she kind of gets a little bit snippy. <laughs> what are you doing Friday night, babe? Oh, I'm just going out with the boys. Oh, is, is, that, is that Brad and, and Jono and um, Paul? Are they going to be? Yeah, yeah, they're the ones. Uh, right see why what's up did you did you want to do something no 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 it's fine go and hang out with your friends you know just so you know um you know if you hang out with your friends a lot then you know i'm not sure that they're necessarily the best thing for you you know like i'm not trying to get involved or anything i'm just saying that you know you seem to be staying out late with them. Like, you, you you, seem to be the one that's always buying the drinks. Have you noticed that? Don't they have their own money? Can't they buy drinks sometimes? No, no, it's cool. They buy drinks. You probably just don't see it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, you know, because from where I'm sitting, it looks like, you know, you hanging out with the boys. It's kind of like, I don't know. You think it's a really good thing, but from where I'm sitting, it looks like, you know, they're taking you down the wrong path sometimes. They're spending all your money. It's like they're taking advantage of you. You know what I mean? Really? I never knew you felt this way. Don't You don't like them? No, I'm not saying I don't like them. I'm just saying that whatever benefit you think you're getting out of this, it's probably not as good as you think. That's all I'm saying. That's the move that China is doing to Australia right now. <laughs> hey, you've been hanging out with America for a long time. I know I'm kind of... I haven't been around here long, but... um. You know, really, what is America doing for you that we're not doing? Like, are you happier with America? Maybe you should just go hang out with America then. Well, maybe I will, China. But, you know, if you hang out with America, you know, are they going to be really, are they going to treat you as well as we treat you? That's the way it starts. That's the way it always starts. 
But it always gets to a point in that relationship then where it goes from passive-aggressive trying to drive wedges between you and your longtime friends to if you keep seeing America, I'm out. If you keep seeing America, I'm going to fucking invade you. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, can't we have friends with everybody? You know, what's the point? Why do you have to fight so much? We can be friends with everyone. No, you hang out with me and no one else. Fuck you. Fuck America. They only do bad things for you. Australia will not get the 100 years of friendship, but 100 years of solitude. The Australian Financial Review quoted him saying, The threat appeared to be in response to Prime Minister Scott Morrison's remark that his recent Washington visit would be the beginning of another 100 years of friendship with the United States. During their meeting, President Donald Trump said China was a threat to the world. As for his view on the rising superpower, Mr. Trump told reporters, well, obviously, well, obviously China is a threat to the world in a sense because they're building a military faster than anybody and frankly, they're using US money. And there's the happy couple right there. So there you have it. Unfortunately, ScoMo made friends with Donald Trump. China, Big Daddy China didn't like this and they're going to invade as a result. So it was good. It was a good, it was good while it lasted. Sorry, guys, but it's the end of Australia. Just on ScoMo meeting President Trump, before we get to our climate stuff, <laughs> the silent treatment. <laughs> They're just going to turn our back. They turn our back. Their backs on us. They're not going to answer our calls anymore. It's going to be awful. Uh, there's a, a talk show host here, a guy by the name of Paul Murray, who used to be on FM radio, and he's a bit of a Donald Trump fanboy, and he got to meet the president and have a little one-on-one chat with him. And you can just see the joy on Paul's face. He's just got a smile from ear to ear. And it would have been fantastic for Paul to get this interview with Donald Trump when so many of his media comrades, when so many of his media contemporaries who hate Paul Murray a lot. I don't hate Paul Murray. I think he's okay. I don't watch him often, but you know, he doesn't bother me. But a lot of his media contemporaries don't like him because he's a bit more on the conservative side of the ledger. So it would have pissed them off royally that he got to meet the president and they didn't. <laughs> but let's have a little look at Paul meeting uh, DJT. And how are you? G'day, Paul Murray. Lovely to meet you, sir. G'day. Good. G'day. G'day, I'm Paul. How you going? <laughs> you had a good day with, uh, with your Aussie mates? With your uh, great prime minister. Uh, really something special. We had a special... He can't stop smiling at him. <laughs> huh? Huh? Hey? How you going? I'm Paul. G'day, Mr. Trump. What's happening? Hey? Hey, this is good, isn't it? It's pretty good. How are you? It's good. I like it. Well, <laughs> day and right behind you, we're having an evening celebrating Australia. What, uh, what do you want to say to your many Australian supporters who wish you nothing but the best in November 2020? Well, it's a great country. Uh, I think that it's one of the truly great countries, actually. A beautiful place. I was there, and I was uh, there a couple of times. have a lot of friends there. have a lot of friends here from Australia. And very special people. Very strong, great people. And I, I, I couldn't help but think, I bet he says this to all the guys. I bet he tells all the guys the same thing. Yeah, I was just over in Burkina Faso, and I've got to say, uh, very great people, special people, strong people. <laughs> I can't help but think that. I'm sure he likes the president. Uh, the the I'm sure the president likes the Australians that he's met. 
because let's be honest, we're pretty likable folks. But I do have a feeling that whenever he meets a reporter from whichever country he's talking to at that particular time, he's going, oh, yes, well, it's a tremendous people down there. You're very strong people. Like, he doesn't say anything specific. <laughs> what do you? What would you like to say to the people of Australia? Well, I would like to say the same thing that I say to every reporter from every country, that, uh, you know, I have a lot of friends there, and I have a lot of friends here from there, and you're very straight, uh, very special people. And it's a great country, one of the best countries, I think. You know, people like to argue about the best countries, but I would say your your particular country, whatever the hell it is, it's probably one of the better ones. And there's very strong people, very good people there. I like it. I, I think I, it's very good. It's a good country. <laughs> like, thank you, Mr. President. But Paul's like, yeah, we are. We're, we're pretty good, aren't we? We're the best. We're going to have a fantastic night tonight celebrating Australia at the White House. You wouldn't have seen it because you were in uh, in full uh, full engagement mode, but there was a wonderful smile on our Prime Minister's face when you were taking on part of the fake news media uh, today. <laughs> you look like you had fun in there today in the Oval. Well, I have fun, but it's we have a very strange uh, media group uh, of people, and they don't always... <laughs> A very strange media group of people. <laughs> Incidentally, I don't know if you saw Brian Stelter tweet out. Brian Stelter was Brian was very annoyed that President Donald Trump made remarks to the effect of that the American media is the laughing stock of the world. He didn't like that very much at all, but he didn't fact check him, which I thought was interesting. He didn't bring up some study that would say that the American media is very highly respected because such a study doesn't exist. Studies to the contrary exist, mind you. There are there's a, there's a pile of studies that if you stood on it, you'd be taller than King Kong. That say nobody respects the media anymore, especially in the United States. Those studies you can bring up in five seconds, but the studies that say everybody loves the media and the president is wrong when he talks about that nobody respects the media, we didn't get to fact check that one. So I thought that was interesting from Bri Bri. Put the truth out, and we like the truth. And uh, and you, by the way, speaking of truth, you have very good references. I have to tell you that. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Yeah, very good references. But no, we had a good time. We had a great day. It was really an amazing day that we had in honor of us. See, Paul Murray likes ScoMo, and ScoMo likes Paul Murray. So ScoMo obviously said to President Trump, "Hey, look, why don't you go out there and give Paul a little bit of a chat? Just give him a few minutes. Say how much you love Australia. Tell him he's doing a great, great job, Paul. You do a great job down there in Australia." Uh, it'll be fantastic. It'll play really well. Australia. Uh, about China, you know that Australia um, is, is, is invested in both sides of this. What concerns you most about China? Uh, is it tariffs or the potential of tanks one day? Well, I think really what we have is the trade, but everything equalises if you think about it. You know, China's, we've paid China hundreds of billions of dollars a year, much more than we should have. Other presidents should have done something about this. But I have a very good relationship with President Xi, and we'll see if we can work something out. Uh, they've had a very rough year. They've had a very, very bad year, worse than 57 years. And uh, they're losing a lot of jobs. Their supply chain is breaking. We're getting tens of billions of dollars in tariffs. And our economy is doing fantastically well, as is yours, by the way. But our economy is doing fantastically well. So we'll just keep it going. We'll see what happens. But we're charging China a lot of money now to do business with us. You've experienced two Australian Prime Ministers as President. Pretty obviously you prefer the current one to the former one. <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> well, now, so you have to understand the subtext to this because the previous Prime Minister, a guy named uh, Malcolm Turnbull, <clears throat> 
he got the job effectively by knifing one of this guy's favourite politicians in the back, another guy named Tony Abbott. So he stuck the knife into the back of Tony Abbott and got the job that way. So Paul Murray never liked Malcolm Turnbull, would bash Malcolm Turnbull relentlessly. And that's 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 how you lob a question in there, just waiting for Donald Trump to whack it out of the park. So obviously you've dealt with two Australian prime ministers, but is it fair to say that you like the current one more than the, <laughs> than the previous one? <laughs> Paul Murray's just like, he's getting an erection going, bash, bash Malcolm, bash Malcolm, bash Malcolm, come on. Do it, Mr. President, come on. Well, I liked Malcolm. You're talking about Malcolm. Yes. Uh, I like Malcolm very much, but I'll tell you, Scott <coughs> is, uh, and, and I really think they're both very good people, but I've had a, I've developed a very special relationship with Scott. Uh, he's special. a great gentleman. Uh, Jennifer's wife is, you know, somebody that loves your country very much, I can tell you that. We spoke for a while, and... <laughs> She truly loves your country. Uh, Scott's a very strong man, a very good man, and I think he's somebody that's respected very much in your country, and he had the kind of election that I had, so we have something in common. It was a little bit of a surprise, and it was a very big victory. When are you coming to Australia? I'll be there, and I know you have the President's Cup coming, and that's exciting, but I'll be there uh, pretty soon. Last one, sir. What's the best thing you've ever ordered from the kitchen downstairs? Well, they have great food, I will say, but I would say the steak they make here is about as good as it gets, although in Australia you probably have better, come to think of it. We'll try it. Hey, oh. <laughs> you know, we've been to all cities on this world tour, but nobody rocks like you guys in Australia. Yeah. So there you have it. Um... My MAGA friends, my American brothers and sisters, I've got bad news for you. Your president just put you on the back burner when it comes to cooking steaks on the grill. Ah, oh, huh? Huh? You want to believe... <clears throat> you, have to, you have to believe him. He's the president. You love Donald Trump. You believe everything Donald Trump says. You say, you say that he wouldn't lie to you. He would only tell the truth. So guess what? You've just been owned by Australian barbecue owners. <laughs> Sucks to be you. The steaks we have, that should have been the headline. Fuck all the China stuff. Fuck, fuck all the China stuff. Fuck the Malcolm Turnbull stuff. Fuck the ScoMo stuff. The whole headline coming out of this meeting should have been breaking. Donald Trump says Australian steak cookers are better than White House chefs. <laughs> we win. We won something. Hey, there you go. <clears throat> there you go. We're better than the we're better than the best chefs that work in the White House. Just the average guy with no shoes and a beer belly in his backyard flipping steaks on a barbecue. Yeah. Yep. Come over and get your steak. Come over and get your steak, son. Didn't you didn't you hear the president? No, what did the president say, Dad? The president said that we cook it better than he gets it over there in the White House. Your dad. Hey, you can be proud of your dad. Your dad, your dad's a better chef than the president has in the in the big bloody White House, mate. Oh, dad, that's awesome. Yeah, isn't it, son? I told you, your daddy's the best. I love you, dad. I love you too, son. <laughs> isn't it wonderful? All right. <laughs> what a genius. All right. Yes, we do bug the hell out of our neighbours, but we tell them to get fucked and have a street party. 
So this story's been going around. Let's get to the real nuts and bolts. Let's get to the price of fish. My message is that we'll be watching you. Oh, dear. <laughs> the first thing before we even get started with this, I'm just going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to play this once at the start and then I'm going to play it again at the end once we go through all of these UN documents that I have and the little video clips that I have teaching children how to do this. Because people say, you know, people are kind of acting like this is a new thing. Like, oh, now they're, now they're resorting to children. But this isn't new at all. If you were tracking uh, the UNESCO organisations, which deal in things like, uh, you know, change in, in change climate empowerment education programs, it's, it's, it's named this kind of stuff, for the last sort of 15 to 10 years, this young lady is merely the result of those programs being rolled out in your public schools in the Western world. This is not a surprise. If anything, they're late. So it's not like they've just resorted to using children now all of a sudden. They've actually planned to use children for a long time. And now we're seeing the results of it. Now that tree is starting to bear fruit. So we're going to watch it at the start. I'm going to go through the documents. I'm going to show you how we got here. And then we're going to watch it again at the end. This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I shouldn't be here. I should Sacrifice. be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to... Other side of the ocean, making reference to global citizen. Us young people for hope. Looking for, to us young people for hope. The, the change in rhetoric from... It's, they've, they've made a decisive effort to go from fear to hope. They're changing their messaging because they've realised that fear-mongering doesn't actually work as well. So now they're trying to sprinkle in little aspirational things, right? How dare you? How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. And yet, I'm one of the lucky ones. You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. And yet, I am one of the lucky ones. And, you know, it is kind of sad because whilst... We have been stealing her dreams and her childhood. I guess justice comes in many forms. And after having her dreams and her childhood stolen, she's now up on the world stage stealing our hearts. Right? Yeah? Are you not convinced by this? Is this not inspiring you? Is this not making you want to, you know, set the climate deniers on fire? Is this not making you want to protest for climate justice? That's all right. Wait, you'll, you'll be convinced by the end, I'm sure. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. Interesting. Maybe we'll just go to this. Uh, people are suffering. People are dying. <laughs> this was on Twitter the other day. Here's some of the suffering and dying and genocide that's taking place. People are suffering. This is this is a climate change rally, in case you didn't know. People are suffering. People are dying. This is this is a climate change protest. 
got moves man who knew that suffering and dying at least you can have fun while you're suffering and dying i think that's the message here we are in the beginning of a mass extinction oh. and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth i had so much to squeeze into such a short program i would have loved to have gone into the whole economic uh, side of this but where she says all you can talk about is um, money and economic growth. What you have to understand is that high-ranking officials from the UN and the IPCC have long spoken about the biggest barrier to action on climate change is capitalism. Like, I got tagged in something a couple of days ago where someone was like, what the fuck? And they were quoting some guy saying uh, socialism and climate change are one in the same. And it's like, you should not be surprised by this. They've been, t they've been talking about this for 20 years. They see capitalism as a driver of destructive climate change, right? Why? <clears throat> because companies pollute and companies make more pollution to make more money. Therefore, capitalism is to blame for climate change. They've said this all along. And you can jump, you, you can jump on the, you know, back in my day, we didn't even have a Google machine. But you can jump on the Google machine and just put into, into the Google machine uh, capitalism and climate change. And you will see page after page after page after page of UN officials and other high-ranking government officials and think tanks saying that in order to fully address climate change, we need to deconstruct global capitalism because capitalism is the blame. So again, don't, don't be surprised by that. Do not be surprised. This is all just part of a long, long trained program, which we're going to show you tonight. How dare you? How dare you? How dare you continue to look away and come here saying that you're doing enough when the politics and solutions needed are still nowhere in sight. You say you hear us and that you understand the urgency. But no matter how sad and angry I am, I do not want to believe that. Because if you really understood the situation, and still kept on failing to act, then you would be evil, and that I refuse to believe. You're good. She did the little compliment sandwich there. <laughs> you know, everybody says you're evil, but I don't believe that. I think you're good guys. I think you'll do the right thing. Uh, well, here's an article. I, I forgot I even had this teed up. Scientists UN, to stop climate change, modern capitalism needs to die. You know how people say, trust the scientists? Trust the scientists. Well, this is part of trusting the scientists. When the scientists say that modern capitalism needs to die in order to address climate change, you're supposed to trust that. The era of cheap energy is coming to an end and societies will need to reshape energy consumption and infrastructure or face consequences, warns a new scientific background paper issued to the UN. The era of cheap energy is coming to an end and societies will need to reshape. We just, why, don't put the, don't put the sub as the same as the first paragraph. For fuck's sake. Don't be so lazy. Come up with a new sub. The, the paper was written by biophysicists 
with the BIOS Research Unit in Finland, who were asked by the UN to contribute research for the UN Global Sustainable Development Report, or the GSDR. There are millions of these reports, by the way, which will be released in 2019, just in time for Greta's little speech. The paper was written, uh, pardon me, it contains some sobering predictions. The team argues that today's dominant economic theories and conceptions of modern capitalism are inadequate because they falsely assume societies will have continued access to cheap energy like fossil fuels. Also, these theories generally don't factor in sink costs, meaning costs that can't be recovered, like climate change. And they fail to <coughs> pardon me, and they fail to account for the potential socio-political consequences that could result from continued unchecked consumption and growth. Yes, the socio-political consequences. Like, say, what was the number that James quoted in his Periscope before? How many millions of people brought out of poverty in India over the last few years? Interesting. Those kinds of consequences. Uh, tell you what, let's see one more little protest here before we go to our document dump. Uh, she's wrong. She hasn't created a movement. She didn't create the movement. The kids aren't creating a movement. The teachers aren't creating a movement. She's not creating anything. She says we're here to create a movement. She is not there to create diddly squat. She is there to follow orders she doesn't even know exists. She is there to play to a... She's there to sing to a hymn sheet that she's never read. She is there to do as she's instructed without ever hearing the instruction. And she doesn't even know it. You know how I know? Because I have the instructions. I have the hymn sheets. I have the lesson plans. I have the educational materials right here in my little archive that I keep saved for these kinds of special occasions. And now you're going to have them too. If you go to the show notes, um, after the show becomes a podcast, There'll be a link out on my timeline at Boogie Bumper. You'll be able to go through and get all these resources yourself and share them around. I just wanted to bring this one up first. Um, if you're wondering where a lot of the gender stuff comes from. Gender and climate change. Training manual for policy and decision makers. Overview. The purpose of the manual is to increase the capacity of policy and decision makers so that their efforts to mitigate and adapt to climate change are gender sensitive. It presents key conceptual and methodological advances in gender relations in the context of climate change. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, climate change denialism is transphobic. Gender and gender mainstreaming is the first module, how to mainstream gender conversations. This is all for your children. This is all educational materials for children in schools. <clears throat> Pardon me. Coming from UNESCO. International law instruments as a framework for mainstreaming gender in climate change. Overview of gender issues and climate change. Gender mainstreaming in adaption efforts. Gender sensitive strategies for mitigating actions. Gender sensitive strategies on technology development and transfer to support actions on mitigation and adaptation. 
gender mainstreaming and climate change financing mechanisms. <clears throat> there you go. It's all gender all the time, baby. From the UNESCO Digital Library, folks. Action for Climate Empowerment. Guidelines for Accelerating Solutions Through Education, Training, and Public Awareness. <laughs> Long-time viewers of this program know that every now and then, every few months or so, we do one of these kinds of shows, and it's only really the hardcore listeners to this show that enjoy this stuff. It, the people who like the dick jokes and whatnot, don't worry, we'll get back to you. We'll get back to you, probably at the end of the show. But if you want to go and make a cup of coffee, if you're not interested how... Uh, a whole bunch of people that you never voted for, that you pay for through your tax dollars, a whole bunch of faceless bureaucrats and their little arms, their little splintering splinter cells of think tanks and departments at the UN. If you're not interested in the massive effect that these people have over the education of your children in your little town in the Midwest right now, today, then the next 20 minutes or half an hour or so is not going to be for you. There's your trigger warning. So what is in the Action for Climate Empowerment Training Guide for teachers and educators? Well, stuff like this. Understanding Education for Sustainable Development, or ESD, as it relates to ACE, which I think is Action on Climate Empowerment. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Pardon me. Education for Sustainable Development, ladies and gentlemen. I think this one's about 10 years old. Any education which would have put Greta Thunberg at the age of six, maybe six years old when this was written. Any education, training and awareness raising activities promoted by a national ACE strategy should be underpinned by the principles of ESD, which is, of course, is education, education for sustainable development. Today, traditional education and training systems, pedagogy, uh, pedagogy, and content require major transformation to accommodate the massive and complex changes that have taken place in the world over the last century. If there's one thing we love here at the UN, it is radical change for your children. <laughs> it's always, it's never a slow approach. It's never an, a steady as she goes approach by the UN. It's always, we need radical change right now as quickly as possible. Which perhaps points to some of the people who are hired by the UN to write these kinds of policy drives and materials. This transformation is addressed by the Global Action Program for Education for Sustainable Development. To support understanding of ESD, UNESCO has published a roadmap for implementing ESD where it explains, quote, ESD empowers learners to take informed decisions and responsible actions for environmental integrity economic viability and for a just society for present and future generations while respecting cultural diversity. It is about lifelong learning and an integral part of quality education. ESD is a holistic and transformational education which addresses learning content and outcomes and the learning environment. It achieves its purpose by transforming society. Yes, ladies and gentlemen. The educational materials that are being passed down from the UN to the federal governments, to the state education boards, and then to the principals and to the high school districts and whatnot, their stated aim, what they will know they have success in this education in material 
when they have, quote, transformed society. You might be thinking why the climate change discussion is always these days put in terms of rights, you know, climate justice, environmental justice. There's a reason for everything. The reason that it's put into rights and justice is because very intelligent people at the UN found out that people in the Western world uh, respond positively to those kinds of policy drives because people in the Western world like to think of themselves as being at the forefront of rights and civil rights and justice, right? Because they look around the west of the, the rest of the world and say, well, there's no civil rights here. There's no equality here. There's no justice there. We are the guys that do justice. We're the guys that do equal rights. So that's why the word justice and rights gets tacked onto the climate discussion now is because that makes you respond in a positive way when you hear it, especially when you're talking about justice pertaining to people who aren't born yet. That is actually highlighted in these textbooks as language that you should use. Specific to climate change, UNESCO explains that ESD has a crucial role to play, quote, to build social and individual capacities and attitudes for climate change mitigation so as to preempt worst case climate change scenarios in the future, to stimulate and reinforce understanding of and attentiveness to the realities of climate change. Let's go down a little bit here. Just one of these learning modules. Listen to this. It's going to all make sense to you in a very short space of time. The Younger Climate Change Challenge Badge, which is an international program rolled out by UNESCO, it is, quote, developed in collaboration with United Nations agencies, civil societies and other organisations. Younger Climate Change Challenge Badges aim to raise awareness, educate and motivate youth to change their behaviour and become active agents of change in their local community. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the UN is sending out educational materials to turn your little your little Sally or your little Johnny who trudges off to primary school today. They are sending out educational materials in order to teach teachers how to turn them into activists. Quote, how to educate and motivate youth to change their behavior and become active agents of change in their local community. The series can be used by teachers in school classes as well as by youth leaders, especially guide or scout groups. Did you wonder why the Boy Scouts had to become uh, non-gender conforming a couple of years ago? Do you remember that? They can't be the Boy Scouts anymore. They have to let the girls in. And and you thought it was just an organic change that they just did to you know move with the times and, oh, well, no, we're not going to be sexist anymore. No, it's UN policy. Challenge badge activities are intended. They even call it badge, a badge activity. What do you win in the Boy Scouts, ladies and gentlemen, when you do, when you light the fire for the first time or put up the tent or make a bow and arrow? You win a badge, right? Challenge badge activities are intended to be both educational and fun. There are also challenge badges available on other topics related to climate change, such as biodiversity, climate change and food security energy, forests, the ocean, soils, and water source, youth and United Nations Global Alliance. There you go. Here's where it gets into the fun stuff. 
the importance of key messages to engage public participation. That's about, this is about getting you motivated. See, first we get your kids motivated and then it's the kid's job to get you involved in what the kids are doing. It's the teacher's job to get the kid talking about it so you take an interest in what your children do. And then you become an agent of change too, right? In any area, effective public participation has three interrelated elements. Access to information, which allows for informed public opinion, direct engagement, which gives the public a chance to influence policy, and oversight, which allows the public to assess the implemented policies, Principles for effective stakeholder participation, I know it's always in this management speak gobbledygook. You have to try and break through that layer of mind-numbing garbage to get to the point with most of this stuff. But these kinds of documents are just laden with the management speak. So apologies. Principles for effective stakeholder participation. (laughs) Highly relevant to climate change have been established by the Aarhus Convention which has provided guidance to practitioners in the Maastricht recommendations. However, a fourth element can be cited, motivating and engaging the public to participate. Specifically, in relation to climate change, research suggests that approaches used to motivate people to take climate change action over the past decade, past two decades have erred by fear-mongering and by presenting overly complex or inconclusive scientific evidence. Ladies and gentlemen, It has now become clear that key messages should be created to make it simple and fun for people to take climate action and better narratives are needed to create a desire and vision for low-carbon society. This includes painting a more positive picture of a green future and implementing campaigns to get people to do small, easy things that can lead to lasting change such as reducing their personal water waste. Think of... Uh, things like the Earth Hour where you have to turn your lights off. Think of the thing I saw a couple of days ago on Twitter, which was, uh, remember, they want to turn Monday into no meat day. Nobody can eat meat on Mondays. It's like, hey, you can do this. Hey, how about using the half flush? It's okay. It's positive. It's not that big of a deal. You can make some serious changes. It's all about getting you on board. Here's a fun little video for you. I'm only going to play a couple of minutes of it, but it'll feed right into our next thing here. This is from Yale, Yale Climate Connections, how and how not to communicate on climate change. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the go-to guide on how to construct your messaging and how to frame your messaging when it comes to climate change so as to be most effective when dealing with people who don't believe what you're saying. Okay. From Yale. The way people learn about things is through stories that other people tell them. You have to use emotion in the way that you talk about things. People respond to emotion. They don't respond to facts. It's not that facts don't matter. They do matter. When I would say the words global warming or climate change, it would be a trigger for a half or more of my audience to just tune out and not listen to the science anymore. So you remove those two words and you just talk about how they're going to be affected as things change. Okay, are we paying attention? Let me show you this again. My message is that we'll be watching you. (laughs) This is all wrong. 
see how many times she mentions climate change in this video. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet Zero. you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? Gotta be passionate. You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Gotta be passionate, you gotta tell a story. I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. And all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. This lady again, one more time. The way people learn about things is through stories that other people tell them. You have to use emotion in the way that you talk about things. People respond to emotion. They don't respond to facts. It's not that facts don't matter, they do matter. When I would say the words global warming or climate change, it would be a trigger for a half or more of my audience to just tune out and not listen to the science anymore. So you remove those two words and you just talk about how they're going to be affected as things change. You just talk about how they're going to be affected as things change. Things like saying, you're stealing our dreams, you're stealing our future, ecosystems are collapsing. Didn't mention climate change. Didn't mention global warming. Just talked about what's going to happen in the future as a result of this change. So when these little documents come out from bodies like UNESCO, ladies and gentlemen, which are very powerful and very rich, and like I said, have a lot of reach into, into your lives right now. There are people right now who are unelected. Uh, nobody voted them in. And it's their job to sit around and come up with ways on how to fuck with your life on a daily basis. Come up with strategies and policies for engaging the stakeholders, they would say in that language. So after reports like that leak out, this is when you start to see things like this in the press. Climate change is scaring kids. Here's how to talk to them. You see how it gets filtered from the management layer where it's filled with the management speak, like we need to engage with stakeholders, to then down to your schools, which uh, don't worry, <clears throat> I'm going to give you the lesson plans that teachers are handed. <clears throat> on how they need to make every single subject about climate change in order for this rapid, accelerated change to take place, in order to get the kids marching in the streets holding the signs. You have to make every single subject about climate change. Don't worry, I'm going to show you how they do it. I'm going to give you the rundown. Climate change is scaring kids. Here's how to talk to them. Hollywood has produced quite a few fictionalised depictions of dramatic climate change. Scores of people die after Manhattan freezes in 2004's The Day After Tomorrow. In Geostorm, released in 2017, the weather goes haywire after satellites malfunction. Realistic scenarios, though, have been less frequent. <laughs> Who would have thought that Hollywood was a tad unrealistic? Yet Sunday's episode of Big Little Lies, the HBO show about five women living in Monterey, California, included a second grader who had an anxiety attack after discussing climate change with a teacher. The girl was worried the world was going to end. 
Psychologists say the way parents and teachers talk about climate change with children has an effect on their young psyches. A lot of people, when they talk to kids, are processing their own anxieties and fears, said John Fraser, a psychologist and chief executive of New Knowledge, a social science think tank that studies health and the environment. Do you think kids won't be scared too? As a culture, we haven't developed good tools to talk about these things. Janet K. Swim, a professor of psychology at Penn State, said she emphasised several steps for parents to take when talking about climate change with youngsters. Listen to this. You should start off with something positive like, we like the planet, she said. Now that's going to be key. When you talk about things like you need to start off with something positive, like we like the planet or we love the environment, because I'm going to show you a clip later on of a climate rally in New York where school children were marching and the, the press was going up to the school children asking them why are they marching and the kids are saying we're marching because we love the planet. Because we love the earth. And these kids wouldn't have been a day over six or seven years old. She said this should be followed with taking children outside to appreciate nature. For city dwellers, this is as simple as going to a park. Families in more rural areas can hike. The goal is for them to appreciate the beauty of nature, Dr. Swim said. They should be thinking about what is good in the environment. This serves a purpose, connecting children to a world larger than their own. Think of the term global citizen. Right? There is this thinking that young kids will understand what we are talking about, Dr. Fraser said. But summer and fall are new. They are only beginning to understand the seasons. Nature to them is a tree, which is why all things targeted to children in regards to climate change are represented by trees, ladies and gentlemen. If you look at any of the little pamphlets the kids come home with, if you look at any of the educational materials, it's always represented by a tree. Getting climate ready. A guide for schools on climate action. This is how your school can become a good global citizen. This is how your school can become an agent of change in the climate battle which looms ahead. <laughs> You're going to love this. Guideline number two. These are the kinds of materials that get passed out at your local school right now. Right now. These are the kinds of materials that the teachers sit around and the education board sit around and wonder, debate with themselves, should we introduce this program? Guideline number two, teach climate change in all subject areas. All of them. Not one. All of them. Addressing climate change is complex. Environmental, economic, social, cultural, ethical, political, scientific and technological issues all come into play. For this reason, your school should include climate action in all subjects. Climate action. Not only in science and social science courses. You don't need a special course to teach climate change in your school. Although such courses are certainly helpful, you can include relevant issues in every subject. For example, have students make graphs showing changes in your school's energy use in mathematics. Create posters about the impacts of climate change in visual arts. Practice the communication skills they need to speak out about the issues affecting their lives in language classes. Can you say the world is going to end in Spanish, Johnny? Can you do that for the class? 
Can you say Mr. Trump is beholden to the fossil fuel industry in Chinese, Sally? Can you do that for us? Have students create concept maps showing links between social, environmental and economic issues? Have students have students write journals documenting how they feel about taking part in a climate action project, ladies and gentlemen. If you want if you want some examples, they go they go above and beyond. Here are some legitimate real-world examples on how you can initiate this this policy drive in teaching climate action in every single subject. Okay, so what if you're an agricultural or gardening teacher? Here's how you can do it. Design and maintain a school garden and compost. Interview local farmers, male and female, because remember, we can't be gender specific here, to learn how climate change affects them. What if you're an art teacher? Good question. Create posters showing the impacts of climate change. Analyze songs with environmental themes or messages. What if you're a biology teacher? That one should be easy. Examine how climate change affects the spread of diseases such as malaria. What if you teach civics at school? Why? You don't miss out. Interview local government officials about their actions to address climate change. Plan a community cleanup of a local beach or park. What about geography? Great, great question. Do field trips to examine the causes and effects of urban sprawl. Create maps showing areas of the world most at risk due to climate change. What if you're a history teacher? Okay. Examine how societies throughout history have resolved conflicts and responded to environmental changes. What if you're in mathematics? Calculate statistics disaggregated by sex on poverty and malnutrition at local and global levels. Make graphs to show changes in school energy use. What if you're a science teacher? Assess the social, environmental and economic impacts of common chemicals. Investigate natural and human factors that influence the climate. Ladies and gentlemen, this is how you get climate change propaganda into the minds of the students, not just for one class a day, not for one lesson a day, but all day. Every lesson, every day. 100% climate indoctrination at all times. Relentlessly. Non-stop. In maths, in home ec, in ag, in sport, in gym, in science, in history, in geography. It all needs to be about climate change all the time. From your good friends at UNESCO, Getting Climate Ready, a guide for schools on climate action. So like I said, these kinds of documents started coming out about 10, 12 years ago. And you might be asking, well, where does it all end up? And that's a great question. Where does it all end up when you start teaching? And see, this is the thing too. It's the sly nature of it. Because they're teaching climate change activism, but they're not saying that they're teaching climate change activism. They're teaching climate change activism by sliding it into other subjects. See, in a mathematics class, you can say, this isn't a climate change class, this is a maths class. And how do you teach climate change activism in a maths class? Well, let's do a graph about how climate change, let's work out the numbers, let's put all the mathematical questions on the table, and we'll get the children to work out how many years the Earth has until it's destroyed due to climate change. Here's, here's data point number one, here's data point number two, calculate. 
hey, it's still maths, right? Still maths. That's how they do it. That's how they teach it, by saying that they're not teaching it. That's how this works. Around the world in major cities from Africa to Europe to here in the U.S. gathered in protest today calling for action on climate change. And one of the largest rallies took place in lower Manhattan. CBS 2's Rena Roy has the story. Rally cry. Did you hear what they were chanting? <laughs> Did you hear what they were chanting? What did it say in the previous piece? It said, when you teach children about climate change, it's important to start with something positive. Get the children to talk about how much they love the earth. Get them to talk about how much they love the planet. That's key. Because if you start with a negative, you might turn them off. You might not, you might not welcome them into the activist fold if you start with something negative. So what are, the kids aren't chanting climate action now. The kids aren't even using the word climate, are they? Because remember, don't use the word climate. Just talk about the effect that it's going to have in the future. So what do they chant? They chant, save the earth, save the earth, save the earth. It's reverberating through the streets of lower Manhattan. As New Yorkers... What do we want? Climate justice. When do we want it? Now. Because people in the West respond to calls for justice and equality. Because we like to think that we're better than everybody else, essentially. It, it, appeals, to our, uh, it appeals to our civic duty, if for want of a better term. So climate change is no longer climate change because people don't respond to climate change because climate change has become a trigger word for debate. So we've changed it to climate justice because who could be against justice, right? Made their message loud and clear. I can the kids will rally for justice. I'm out here today because I want there to be a future for the youth. Just to raise awareness about the problem that we're having. I just, I think that was a really important cause and I just wanted to show up to support it. The protest held just three days before world leaders meet for the UN summit here in the city. What's the message today? The message is that the government needs to step up. Chopper two overhead as masses of people marched more than a mile down Broadway from Foley Square to Battery Park, where speakers took the stage, like well-known teenage activist Greta Thunberg, who traveled across the Atlantic Ocean to New York in a zero emission yacht last with zero emission yacht are we sure it's a zero emission yacht how, how did they make the fiberglass <laughs> just curious I, I i don't know maybe the fiberglass is made up of like maybe the the hull of the yacht is made from like old mobile phones and and toilet rolls you know what i mean maybe it's a 100 recycled yacht i'm not sure month. We are united behind the science and we will do everything in our power to stop this crisis from getting worse. Even the smallest of voices echoing demands for big change in addressing global warming. We're here because I want to save the world. Just squeezed in there. We're here because I want to save the world. 
York City Public Schools excusing absences so students could participate. And you can see they certainly showed up. The huge crowd. Why would the uh, public schools, why would the public schools greenlight children not going to school in order to participate in these kinds of, you know, action action groups, right? I'll tell you why. From the UNESCO guide, Getting Climate Ready, a guide for schools on climate action, because you might be thinking, why are they allowed, why are they dragging the kids out of school to go to climate change rallies? And these people think it's their idea, but it's not. This was written about a te- this was written about a decade ago in these UN documents. Guideline number one. Guideline number one. Creating a climate action team. Quote, everyone in your school, girls, boys, women and men, has a role to play in working towards your school's climate action goals. However, sharing roles and responsibilities is important to be effective in your work. Setting up a climate action team to coordinate your school's climate work is the way to do it. Include student representatives with diverse backgrounds and from different grades and age groups. Don't forget to explain the extent to which students will or will not hold decision-making power. This will help avoid feelings of disappointment that might arise when students see that not all their ideas are being put into practice. Where possible, members of the climate action team should be elected rather than designated so they can speak and act on behalf of the group they are representing and consult and mobilise them. Because you've got to mobilise those kids. You absolutely must mobilise those children. Like I said, everything we use today is going to be in the show notes, so you can read it for yourself. Um, one more thing to finish it off too, by the way, which I thought was fantastic. Uh, there's a website called The Conversation here in Australia. It's, it's like a university-based website for debate. It's funded by the taxpayers. Uh, they are now purging anybody who casts any kind of doubt or scepticism with anything to do relating to the climate change debate on a university website about debate. All <laughs> the forces are in this debate, how the alarmist view is constantly trying to silence scepticism. The Conversation website is closely associated with our universities. It was established with government money and it has continuing support from taxpayers through our universities. It seeks to be a clearinghouse, if you like, for public debate. It, it, it aspires to host a more intelligent and academically inclined debate than what you get in the rest of the media. It's always shown the green left bias that sadly we've come to expect from such a publication. But last week it announced a clampdown, not only on people who might argue against the consensus on human-induced climate change, but also on people who are merely sceptical about it. Climate change deniers and those shamelessly peddling pseudoscience and misinformation are perpetuating ideas that will ultimately destroy the planet, said its explanation. Pseudoscientists, um, dangerous climate zealots, right? Um, I wish I had the article in front of me. I think I, I had it in the rundown, but then I got rid of it. It was, it was an article which was teaching people how to demonise people who are sceptical of the climate change debate, who are sceptical of uh, man-made climate change, right? Or at least sceptical to the effect that it's going to affect our lives in the future. 
And it was saying it's important to describe these people in the most harsh of terms because essentially what we want is for the younger generation to do anything they can to not associate with being one of those people. So if that means uh, they don't engage with them, they don't listen to them, they don't take up anything that they say, and they only come to us for their climate information, that's essentially what we want. So if we make the other side of this debate, you know, like untouchable, as though it were like some kind of uh, pseudo-Indian caste system, if we make them untouchables, then their message isn't going to filter through to the next generation, and then we'll have them. And then the other kind of educational materials that come down from bodies like UNESCO take hold and take effect. So there you have it. Like I said, this this could be a three-hour program going through all the documents and whatnot that we have on this stuff. We could literally be here all day. There are mountains and mountains and mountains and mountains of these educational guidelines which are written by bodies like UNESCO and the UN which filter into the federal government via the departments, the unelected bureaucratic departments, which then filter down to the school level thanks to the, sp the boards of education and whatnot. I think it was, what was the name? Arne Duncan, was that a name? The Obama um, education spokesman who was giving speeches to the UN talking about how we need to work more closely with the UN in order to get the materials into our schools as quickly as possible so we can create change for the next generation. None of this is by accident. <laughs> people, people are unironically chanting lines that have been pre-written for them in UN documents which create education guidelines which are over 10 years old. They don't even know it. They are literally repeating the same insults that have been created for them to use in UN documents which are 10 and 20 years old. The teachers are repeating phrases that have been pre-written for them over a decade ago and they don't even know it. It's not about education at this point. And then you find yourself a website where it's supposed to be about, you know, debating things, where the brightest and best minds are supposed to gather to thrash out ideas, i.e. the universities. Ah, just kick them all off. Kick them all off. That's an unwanted inconvenience that we don't want to have to deal with. Best that we call them all Nazis and get them the hell out of our way. Otherwise, it might create complications in the future. Tell you what, let's end on a high note. Thanks for sticking around. You're on the Daily Boogie. Going to go right off track here. In Wild Encounter, woman bites testicles of tiger truck stop camel to escape, officials say. <laughs> There's the camel. <laughs> no, she didn't bite the testicles of a tiger. She bought... She bought the she bit the testicles of a tiger truck stop camel. Why there is a camel at a truck stop, I will never know. But apparently there is a camel at a truck stop in Florida. This is a Florida story. What the fuck is going on in Florida? A Florida woman freed herself from a camel by biting its testicles at the tiger truck stop in Gross Tet last week after she crawled into the animal's pen to retrieve her dog and the camel sat on her, authorities said. This is this story has everything. The woman's husband had been throwing treats to their dog under Casper, the camel's fence, Wednesday evening before the dog went inside, the Iberville Parish Sheriff's Office said on Sunday. After the dog began interacting with the camel, the couple crawled in to get it. 
Officials said, while inside, the camel sat on the woman and she bit the animal, a male dromedary, to get it off her. She said, I bit his balls to get him off me. I bit his testicles to get him off me. (laughs) Iberville Parish Deputy Lewis Hamilton Jr. said, there's the handsome devil with the bitten balls. The investigation found that the couple had provoked the camel before it sat on the woman. Foreplay, I think that's called. The camel did nothing wrong. (laughs) It's just like Hitler. The camel did nothing wrong. Hamilton said, the couple were aggressive. The camel was just doing its normal routine. The truck stop located 20 minutes outside of Baton Rouge keeps a camel named Casper and for many years has controversially kept a tiger for visitors to see on site. The couple who weren't identified stopped at the truck stop to let the dog out. The camel has never been aggressive. The camel has never gotten out, never caused any issues. In fact, the husband and wife stated before that we've been here before and we've never had any problems. But the good news is I have a follow-up to this story. I have a follow-up. It's not all bad. If you fear for the testicular fortitude of the camel and you hope that it remains uh, unblemished, then I've got good news for you. Truck stop owner. Camel bit in testicles, but should be okay because Florida woman had no teeth. (laughs) This is is quite possibly the most Florida story of all time. So a woman breaks into a camel pen to retrieve her dog, aggravates the camel. The camel sits on her. In order to get the camel to release her from his butt grip, she bites him on the testicles. The only place I can imagine that you should bite a camel when you're in distress. She bites him on the testicles. The truck stop owner then comes out because people are fearing for the camel's well-being. They're afraid that the camel may have been injured. He says, don't worry, everybody. It's cool. She did bite the camel on the nads, but she doesn't have any teeth. So we're, we're good. We're golden. She just gave him a gummy. Gummies for the camels. <laughs> The owner of Gross Tet, Louisiana Truck Stop, where a Florida woman bit a camel's testicles, says the camel should be okay because the woman had no teeth. The, the woman ended up in the camel enclosure to retrieve a dog, which managed to wake its way when the woman's husband threw some dog treats into the enclosure. That's when the incident went south. Nice, nice touch. <laughs> he did sit on top of her and she told the police she bit him. And how to say this in a nice way, but in a private area... And they got the camel off. Lucky for the camel, the Florida woman apparently lacks in dentition. The girl in in the back said she didn't have any teeth. That could explain why there's no bite marks, but we've got a vet coming over to check him out today. Somebody had to go into the camel pen and check the camel's balls for teeth marks. (laughs) For evidence. (laughs) Imagine breaking into a camel pen. The camel sits on you. And the only way to ensure your freedom is to bite the nasty camel's nasty balls, put the, put the camel's nasty balls in your mouth, and then you get hauled off to court for animal cruelty. That would just be perfect, wouldn't it? But then you don't actually go to jail for animal cruelty because the courtroom discovers that you couldn't have possibly bitten the camel on the balls because you don't have any teeth to bite with. You just kind of slapped around at it with your gums. <laughs> You didn't leave any teeth marks. You just led, left a slobbery mess on the camel's nutsack. <laughs> it's like, you're free to go. You're free to go. I don't even know. 
I don't even know if jail time is going to be worse than that at that point. So, so, so sorry, my dear. Please go. In fact, he have some dentures. Have some dentures. So hopefully this never happens again. A feel-good story. Felt good for the camel anyway. He was very pleased. A feel-good story to end our show tonight. Thank you so much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. Become a subscriber by hitting the subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And of course, if you would like to bite my camel on the nuts, then you can do so by following me on Twitter at Boogie Bumper. Don't forget to follow our friends at Real Person PLTCS. Fuck, it feels good to say the proper Twitter handle again. Thank you, Twitter, for giving my friend his Twitter handle back. I apologize for the fact that he keeps bashing you for it, but never, never mind. At Real Person PLTCS. For the best 15-minute data downloads on the interwebs, of course, Chris Mack as well. Chris MC44 for 44 periscopes a day. We're back to regular. Regular programming has resumed. Uh, Until next time, guys, I'll be back 6 p.m. tomorrow night. Thank you so much for joining us. Until then, stay calm, stay rational. God bless. See you soon. (laughs) Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone. Don't forget, all of the UN documents that we referenced in tonight's show will be in the show notes. So just wait for the podcast to be released on Twitter, at Boogie Bumper. Hit the link and you'll find all of the links that we used tonight and you can take them home, read them, check them out yourself. I hope that helps. See you tomorrow, guys. Bye-bye.